Tuesday morning blitz off-season preview pod we're doing it late Sunday night we're grinding out the content me and you Kale let's get after it how are you feeling on this fine evening it's very much not morning here in Syracuse New York it's 940 on a Sunday night We've got Raptors calves on we just ate some nice Chinese food we're uh, we're getting into it. It, it listen we promised you good off-season content and this is the first iteration of us actually delivering on that. And honestly, I don't know about you, this is this is my favorite time of year football-wise. Like, I, I've just always really, like, you know, analyzing the game and whatnot is great, but the, like, thinking about everything and, like, how hopeful you get, like, the excitement of free agency, the excitement of the NFL draft, all this, like, the next two months is nothing but speculation, and it's where I thrive, personally. Interesting. So I enjoy the midseason speculation the most, and this is completely uncharted territory for me. Granted, usually around this time of year, I would start getting excited about baseball and have some baseball to talk about. This year, that may not be the case. So I am making sure to stack up on my NFL knowledge because I may have no other sport to talk about. But we're going to get into this tonight. We have burning questions for the NFL offseason. Each division, each of us has picked out a specific question that we want to try to tackle. We'll try to speed through them as much as we can, because if you know us, we have a tendency to run a little bit long-winded, and with 16 questions, that could skyrocket. So we're going we're gonna to keep each other on track tonight, buddy. That's our number one goal. We're going to start off in our division, the AFC East, and I think you would like to get us started with a Pat's question. Listen, where, where else would we start our off-season content? Just no. right at home in New England. The first thing I've got to ask, just to lead this off, is what are the New England Patriots going to do about their defense? If you look at the free agents that are hitting the market from this team, you got Devin McCourty, Dante Hightower, J.C. Jackson, most importantly, Brandon King, Carl Davis, uh... I believe Kyle Van Noy is a restricted free agent. They could cut Kyle Van Noy for cap space. I forget. Bentley. Yeah, Juwan Bentley, Jamie Collins, Harvey Lange. Like, they're a lot, a massive portion of their defense is hitting the market. And this is also off the heels of a historic collapse in the playoffs. A, a, a defense that didn't, like, didn't force a single stop in any regard. Nothing but touchdowns from the Buffalo. Bills, but you know this is also a defense that was fourth in defensive DVOA in the regular season, like very competent third in passing DVOA, ninth in rushing DVOA. It's a competent, competent team who just had an absolute collapse because this team looked slow at the end of the year. All these people that are leaving, for the most part, are pretty up there in age. Right? Jack and I were talking about this prior. Devin McCourty's been a leader of this team for you know how many years at this point, upwards of ten, and. Belichick, this is between a rock and a hard place here because Belichick's also the kind of guy that moves on from guys a year early rather than a year late. Like, 
how does this team retain retain J.C. Jackson? How does this team lock up Devin McCourty? Like, what is what is the situation doing on? I, I have so many questions. I'll cut it to you, Jackson. I don't think they're keeping J.C. Jackson, or at least that's not what it seems like to they're me. They're not tagging J.C. Jackson. They're not going to tag him, but are they going to pay for him at this rate? Like, that's – I've never – we gave out the Stephon Gilmore contract uh, four off-seasons ago. Other than that, I have almost no memory of ever paying corners, and particularly when a corner says he wants to be the highest paid at his position in the entire league. That strikes me as a Bill Belichick no-no. So I'm almost preparing myself more so for a world without J.C. Jackson than starting to think about what the cap is going to look like after they try and retain him and things of that nature. I just don't understand what the alternative is, though. This team already has a lot of needs in positions like you know, wide receiver, linebacker, pass rusher, and around the edge. This is a team that, you know, if you've got a guy that's, he, he might be willing to, he might be looking to be one of the highest paid cornerbacks in the league, but there's a lot, there's a lot of cap the Patriots can free up. Uh, you know, close friend of the pod, Arjun Manan, a PFF intern, Michigan guy. Uh, he created a chart of uh, basically team's potential cap space, uh, moving from effective cap space to potential cap space. If they make every single move they have, how much cap space can they free up for this offseason? Patriots can free can get a cap space upwards of $70 million if they make every single move. Looking at, at Pat's cap on Twitter, there's a lot of different moves New England can make to free this space up. They can easily pay J.C. Jackson, who allows a completion rating, a completion, a quarterback rating of something like 40, I believe. A pass rating of 40 when he gets thrown his way. He allows a third of his passes that are that he's targeted on to get completed, I believe. That's kind of off the top of my head. But they like they have the flexibility to pay him upwards of $19, $20 million a year if they so choose. It's just a matter of do that. In my mind, he is that valuable. And it's like a cat and mouse game. Like I just never have seen Bill Belichick in this front office like take that next step with a corner. To me, Jackson's the guy that's worth it. And I've He's brought me so much joy watching him the past four years, and he's, what, led the league in interceptions in total over the past four years, which speaks to longevity, number one, and also just shut down corner. Like, there aren't many better than him right now. But I just don't see it. Like, I'm really quite worried that J.C. Jackson's played his last game in a Patriots uniform. It makes me very nervous. But the rest of the defense, I think it's a good time to get younger. And they have so much... With that maneuverability, I mean, you could hopefully bring in more edge rushing potential. Uh, like all the linebackers last year were in their 30s. I would really love to see that change. And I think there's a lot of potential there. One thing I'm curious about is you said you were hoping, you were worried that the de- that the Pats were going to go defense instead of receiver in the first round. So the defense all has to be addressed through free agency at this point? I mean, the... The edge rushers in this free agency are pretty nuts. Uh, I mean, Chandler Jones, like these are high-end guys, but Chandler Jones, Jadevian Clowney, Randy Gregory, Ziggy Ogba, Melvin Ingram, Hassan Reddick, Harold Landry, Justin Houston's getting up there in age, but still, I think we want to go younger than that. I, I, I mean, just top-end talent. Uh, PFF's top 100 had, you know, what, eight, nine edge rushers in there alone? It's, it's a pretty stacked class of... Edge rushers and wide receivers and cornerbacks for that matter. So if you want to get younger, this is probably the time to do so. And you can pick up some veteran guys in the meantime. You had success hitting on guys like Matthew Judon and 
Devon Godchuk last year. But it's just like it's just a matter of how how much you want to pay, how much mutable cap you want to end up doing with some caponomics here. Uh, also, is Chase Winovich even a player anymore? He was a I solid, don't know. He was a solid third down guy at points in his first couple of years in New England. I, I I don't know what's happened there, but I'm worried. I'm worried that the Patriots go defense first round because this wide receiver class is so strong. My second fear is that they either overdraft a guy or they pick the wrong guy in a class that feels like there is no wrong guys. You you know. It looks bad if you're running a 4-4 with this wide receiver class, and that's exactly what New England needs at this point. But it's it's just a weird... They've, they've got so many different directions to take, and for a team that we thought almost went through a one-year rebuild, uh, it looks like there might be a lot more rebuilding ahead. Chris Olave there at 21. Any chance? I think so. The change in his 40 time, it, it was really... <laughs> It was originally reported at 4.26. I saw this big controversy on NFL Draft Twitter the other night. He went from 1-1 to not even a first-rounder based on a 0.13-second difference on a automated clock on I mean, ESPN. A, a jump from a point, a, a 4.26 to a 4.39. No, I agree it's massive, but it's also combine numbers. Like I, under, I understand that, and, and he plays fast. I still like... If you're willing to slow play this and you know outlast Buffalo with for whatever that means, wait till Josh Allen's cap gets big. <laughs> but the if you're willing to outlast him and stick with Mac for the long haul, I like Jameson Williams, the guy that you know tours ACL for Alabama, and he looked like he was going to be maybe the best wide receiver prospect in this draft at points during the year, and all of a sudden this guy tears his ACL national championship. It all goes to hell. But the like. There was some kind of stat that he averaged, I, I forget, it was somewhere between 11 and 14 yards per target at Alabama. It's quite good. nuts. And, and that's what you need. Like, New England needs that deep throw. New England needs that massive, big play potential guy like a Jameson Williams. I get it's college. I get it's Alabama. But listen, how many times have we, how many times have we talked about the Jamar Chase-Joe Burrow connection? Like, how many times are we talking about this reuniting? They need a lot, man. There, there's uh, It's been so long since they've had an offensive threat like that. Somebody who can just take the top off the defense. I mean, even the Randy best. Randy like, Moss. That's, that's, that's the guy. It. That's the guy. So I, I just would love to see someone who can stretch the field for New England again. They've got a tall task in that division. I don't know if you're aware. There's this team called the Buffalo Bills who's pretty good at football. Just a honest assessment of where they're at heading into this offseason. And my question for them is more so, like, what are they going to do in terms of the wide receiver position? And there's bigger bigger picture questions to Buffalo. Like, the defense is curious, but I'm, I'm more so drawn to this Cole Beasley, Isaiah McKenzie little love triangle they've got going right now. Are they keeping both? Are they keeping neither? Or are they picking one? I, they've got to pick one, and I don't think it could be Cole. It shouldn't be. I, I mean... Yeah, it. My issue is, I, I think Buffalo's. If Buffalo wants to take that, make that jump to elite, they've got to shore up their interior defensive line, and they've got to land a second corner outside Trey White. Levi Wallace is leaving town. They don't really have a lot of anything up front. Uh, their edges, Jerry Hughes and Mario Ad- Addison, are you know leaving town. But in the wide receiver position, two guys are hitting the mark: Isaiah McKenzie. And Emmanuel Sanders. 
Manuel Sanders is looking at retirement. He wasn't a big fix for them anyway. But the perfect slot in for Manuel Sanders is Gabriel Davis. Gabriel Davis has been a darling of mine a little bit since he kind of jumped on the scene. Uh, but that if Buffalo is now telling Cole Beasley he's able to look for a trade and start exploring those options, they're probably going with McKenzie uh, if they can re-sign him. Because I think McKenzie hasn't really had its value in Buffalo and maybe he wants to look at a bigger deal because I think there are points in the season where it really looks like McKenzie was something special. I get he's a second or third guy, but he's a depth guy. And listen, you can't just run with one wide receiver as the Kansas City Chiefs. Like, you need a, a few more, or as a Green Bay Packers for that matter. You need a few more pieces in that mix. I think uh, I, I tweeted at our former guest, Nolan Hughes, if they land Diggs, Gabriel, and McKenzie, that's one of the best wide receiver trios in the league, in my opinion. Or has, has the potential to be one of the best wide receiver trios in the league, personally. Just with the amount of versatility that they bring to the table, I think they're a really, really special group. But I think that's your answer there. This is a stacked wide receiver group, but you need, you've already got Diggs locked up with this crazy deal. You've got Gabriel Davis on a loose deal. It, unless you're going to get a premier slot guy, which I don't think is valuable, you know, maybe overpay a little bit to keep McKenzie in the building. Well, that's what I'm wondering is because I think McKenzie's going to command some attention, especially with the way he finished up last year. He had that massive game against the Pats in the regular season. And there's a lot of teams that can use receiver talent. I mean, we've already talked about one, and we've only gone 10 minutes into this podcast. So my question is, is someone going to overpay and snatch McKenzie away from the Bills? I don't think there's going to be overpays in this just because of the depth of talent at wide receiver, like we've said. We thought last year was a pretty stacked wide receiver class. No, it's this year. No, this it's this year. year. <laughs> and I think that's that's even made more apparent by all the players who signed one-year deals last year, the Will Fullers and Jujus of the world, who signed, who struck out, signed one-year deals. And now they were maybe fifth, sixth best wide receiver in that class. They're now like eighth, ninth, tenth even. This wide receiver class is massive. Yeah, I mean, Devontae Adams not understanding, but like Chris Godwin, Mike Williams, Allen Robinson, Odell, Michael Gallup, Christian Kirk even. Christian, like, Christian Kirk is going to be like a good value add for some team, but some team might overpay for him. I think at some point, teams desperate might be looking to overpay Isaiah McKenzie, but at some point that money is going to look like a guy who's maybe worth five mil per is getting eight mil per. One thing I just want to say, I still believe in Juju. And the social media stuff notwithstanding, tough injury last year, playing for Ben Roethlisberger the past couple of years, tough. Doesn't help things. Not Definitely helpful. Help and his, his rookie year, he was unbelievable. So maybe he's not ever going to get back to that level, but I could see him being a really nice ad for somebody this offseason, I believe. Yeah, I mean, but that, like, even Juju's in that, I'd call it like a third tier of receiver at that point. Well, yeah, I mean, Devontae's up here. Chris Godwin's up here. I mean, you're not going to get anywhere close to those two guys. Yeah, I get that. But, like, Mike Williams, Allen Robinson, Odell, I'd even throw Michael Gallup in there at this point, are like their own tier. And then you get into, like, Juju. I could see Juju being being Michael Gallup pretty easily. I don't think he's that much worse. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that. I'll yeah. agree with that. His, he's, his one season's better than any singular output Michael Gallup's ever had. But that being said, Michael Gallup's also been a 
pretty consistent wide receiver three. It's just a matter of opportunity. Who knows? Well, let's transition into the division that has Pittsburgh in it and talk about who's going to play quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers next year. Just straight up. Like, ben, Ben's gone, finally. Hallelujah, thank the Lord. I like this as a Jimmy G destination team. I really do. But my opinion's not the only one that matters here. Kale, if you had to pull out your crystal ball, who's, uh, who's taking snaps for the Steelers? It's tough to say. I like, I like where your head's at with Jimmy G in terms of where, like, that's the kind of team he should be going to, uh, especially in the concepts. He's also not a guy that can throw crazy deep, but at least he's going to be able to put some zip on the ball and like Ben. You know, I, I think that's a good slot. I could see him going a couple other places. Pittsburgh's a decent fit there. Although I will say, you know, Pittsburgh's picking 20th this year. There aren't going to be a lot of quarterbacks taken crazy early in this draft, at least from what we've seen. Pro days might change things. You know how people get ravenous over watching guys throw in shorts. You never know. I, I don't hate this as a destination for two quarterbacks. Pitts, Kenny Pickett. Great story, hometown guy. Small hand. hands. Baby Listen, hands. <laughs> it's, I, I was never a hand size guy until I saw how small they were. <laughs> In the sense that his eight and a half inch hands are would be the smallest in football currently. <laughs> and listen, I measured I've got Jackson can look I've got a tape measure open right there. I've done the hand <laughs> measure. I've got ten inch hands. If Kenny Pickett's got eight and a half inch hands and he's playing the NFL quarterback, that's tiny. Those are tiny tiny hands. Oh God. I'm gonna measure my hands live on air and we're gonna see if Pale Kale put a first round grade on me because I well, think I've probably got some pretty massive He'll walk over and measure up, and I'm going to tell you about my second guy. Liberty's Malik Willis, because I can't imagine. We, we actually got the opportunity to watch Malik Willis play for Liberty against Syracuse in the Dome. Surprisingly, it's one of the bigger wins that Syracuse had all game. Had all year, let's say. But he's, a, he's an absolute talent. On the field, off the field, fantastic stuff. He, it's a true dual threat. And the guy can sling the ball, too. He, there, there were shots of him throwing 60-plus yard passes, hitting guys in stride without any let-up from the receiver. Perfect lead. Like, it's it's special arm talent at points. I, I, I think he'd be a perfect fit, and I can't imagine, you know, a Matt Canada run steal, like Steelers offense with Najee Harris in the mix, the wide receivers that they have in the fold. Give the guys some protection at O-line, but you're cooking with gas at that point. So I have a different question now than I had before I went over and measured my hands with the tape measure. Because is Kale Clinton rocking some massive mitts? Because I measured mine, and I was at sitting at about 9.5, and, and he says his are 10. We'll bring it up. thought Let's... I was a big hands guy. And side note, Malik Willis, very fun to watch play. Also very fun to watch Kingsley Jonathan and Michael Jones just run right through him. Oh, Kale, your hands go like weirdly sideways more than mine do. Yeah. Your hands were made for this it measurement, aids, pal. It aids a lot. <laughs> I have I have almost I'm I'm quite literally is that an eighth of an inch. I have nine and seven eighth inch hands. Coming up just short of that magical ten marker. So but maybe in five eleven and a half. Either way, both of us should be drafted above Kenny Pickett, according to NFL Twitter. Moving on, 
Uh, other questions surrounding the AFC North. Kale, take it away. The one team that we won't talk about in the AFC North is the Cincinnati Bengals because they have $48 million in cap space. The only thing they really need to address is offensive line and maybe tight end. But everything else that they have is great. So my question is, where where do the non like the two Yeah, I guess the non-playoff teams because the Pittsburgh Steelers made the playoffs. <laughs> oh my god, I forgot about that. Technically speaking. Yeah. So where where do the two teams that we thought would dominate this division, the Baltimore Ravens and the Cleveland Browns, how do they get back into contention? I don't think there's a good answer for Cleveland, unfortunately. I mean, you look at it, that's as talented a roster outside two positions that you could possibly have. But those two positions are quarterback and wide receiver. Spoiler alert, those are pretty important in the game of football. So I don't know what your solution is because it's not a good free agent class. It's not a good draft class. Cleveland, while they have a lot of cap space, it's not like they're just going to go price. Like, do you want them to go get Carson Wentz? Like, they're not getting Aaron Rodgers. If so we're, If we're going back to that mutable cap space from Arjun Manan, it gets, it gets close to 90 mil. And this is, these are, yeah, it's a wide range of numbers on? here, a wide range of options. But you can still participate in the top end of this wide receiver free agency class. And Cleveland's also a team that after a disappointing season like this, is going to be in position with 13th overall to actually be able to get someone and actually get a really top-end free agent or a, a top-end draft pick in this wide receiver class. So I think that's, like, if you give, even if you want to stick with Baker, I think this is the Jimmy destination. I think Jimmy in Cleveland's better than uh, Jimmy in Pittsburgh. I can get down with that. I like it. But so. if you put, if you give him literally anyone but Donovan Peoples-Jones to give as a lead, you're, you know, you're set. I think, you, I think you've got a fantastic defense. You've got a great offensive line and, you know, some of the best two running backs, the two-headed monster in the NFL. Uh, but that's like, that's how you rebuild Cleveland. Baltimore, Baltimore gets messy to me. Because Baltimore, like Baltimore, I think, has more problems than Cleveland. Cleveland has egregious issues in two positions, but they're good everywhere else. Baltimore, after the season that they had, they need, they need offensive tackles. They need cornerbacks. They need safety help. They need a full rehaul of this defensive line. Like, they've got a lot of pieces in there that are shaky. And this isn't even mentioning the fact that they've got, you know, Rashad Bateman and Hollywood Brown at wide receiver position that we're not sure how reliable Hollywood Brown is as wide receiver, too. Sammy Watkins is still hitting the market as well. So, like, what's Lamar doing in this passing game now? Counterpoint, they have Lamar. So this is, this is, where, this is where I tend to be – more optimistic about them than Cleveland because I know who's going to play quarterback for them next year, and I know I like the guy. And bonus, they also get J.K. Dobbins back next year, who was looking like one of the better running backs in the league before he went down. Don't so, forget about Gus Bus. I'm, I'm unfortunately not going to give Gus but Gus Bus cost me a couple fantasy matchups two years ago that I will never forgive him for. So he's off my radar, unfortunately. JK, team J.K. Dobbins. How's uh, the talent? I'll tell you what. He's so slow. I just don't. I don't understand how that guy's an NFL running back. He just takes ten minutes to get to the hole. But AFC West, an interesting division, in a sense that all these teams at points last year looked like they were good, and when it came down to it, the Chiefs made the playoffs. Obviously, 
but we're wondering if their window might be closing. The Raiders made the playoffs, but we are so unenthusiastic about where they're headed this offseason. And as usual, Kale absolutely loves the Chargers, despite how poorly their season finished and the fact that they have the worst special teams and run defense units in the entire league. So take it away, Kale. How could I not be excited about the (laughs) Los Angeles Chargers? Because this is a team. If If you're excited about the Ravens just because they have Lamar Jackson, I can be excited about the Chargers, who arguably have a better roster top to bottom just because they have Justin Herbert. You know what they also have that the Ravens don't? Is fifty-seven million dollars in cap space? That's a lot. This isn't this Brandon. isn't Arjun's mutable potential cap space. This is just straight cold liquid cash that they can hand to J.C. Jackson to give some cornerback help to you know re-sign Mike Williams to get a right tackle. This is how they make the leap to the Super Bowl. They've already shown that in their current state they can give Kansas City a run for their money. They beat them once, then they lost in overtime. So they basically tied. In my- <laughs> <laughs> Listen, when you lose to Travis Kelsey on a walk-off touchdown where you could have tackled him eight different times and you didn't, I'd call it a draw. <laughs> oh my gosh. But yeah, I mean, their, their biggest issue is the fact that they just cannot run, they cannot defend runs to save their lives, which is... Seemingly common in the NFL for a lot of teams. Uh, you know, that's the Chiefs' weakness. That's the Bills' weakness. It's going to be the Chargers' weakness. But, you know, after <laughs> after the combine I watched Jordan Davis have, you know, I think like 16 sounds like it's floor. Because Jordan Davis is quite literally the only, like, he can't pass. He can't pass rush. Like, you can't have him on the field for passing downs. The guy's too big, and he's. It's crazy to say that the guy that ran his forty is too slow. The guy with ludicrous speed is too slow, but he's not a pass rusher. He's a he's a stalwart run blocker or run stopper, rather. And like he's the perfect spot. Like, how do you spend the 16th overall pick on a guy who's relatively relatively limited and situational? Uh, you have the perfect situation, like in LA, where it's your only, it's your biggest concern, it's your biggest point of need. That's how you justify it. Yeah, any team that gives up forty-one points to Davis Mills and the Houston Texans can spare no expense when when looking for defense, in my opinion. So, you bring in Jordan, you bring in five Jordan Davises if you need to with that kind of money. Just please stop somebody from gaining one hundred and fifty yards against you on the ground. I mean. T- I think their air game is going to be fine. They have the money because there's been reports that the Chargers are going to go after. They're going to go after a top cornerback on this market. Their top two targets have been J.C. Jackson and Stephon Gilmore, which in my eyes means that they're going for J.C. Jackson because who's throwing a bag at Stephon Gilmore at his age with his injury history? I wouldn't. That's a bad idea. So they go for J.C. Jackson, and at that point you've got J.C. Jackson at one, Derwin, or Derwin James over the top at safety. You have a really respectable developmental wide receiver two guy in uh, Asante Samuel Jr., who I loved last year. And you've got your, your secondary is pretty much set. You can pick up an extra safety in there somewhere, but your, your secondary is pretty much set. At that point, you can focus on your linebacker game. You've got your edge, rusher, edge rushers locked up in Nick Bosa. 
and you can kind of cook from there. I think you're fine. I, I, I think defensive line and, you know, continuing to build depth at wide receiver. I, Mike Williams re-signed as a minimum. I think you got to get a third guy in there. But, you know, they're well on their way. I believe everything you're saying to a certain degree, but there's just a part of me that still thinks the Chargers could fix everything about their roster and still miss five field goals in late-game scenarios and go 9-8 and eight next year. That's just what the Chargers have been to me for the last, like, more than half a decade at this point. So I'm just, they're one of these teams where I, I got to believe it. Go I, I got to see it to believe you gotta it. You got to go back to, like, good. Go back to 2008-2009 Chargers where Phillip Rivers was flirting with MVP votes. This is the kind of Chargers you need to think of. That was the thing. I'm doing a full project on quarterbacks right now. Phillip Rivers was close to getting MVP votes. I don't, I mean, I remember it, but I also remember being 4'11 and going to the San Francisco Friends School for uh, 7th grade reading class when, when all those things were going down. So if we want to talk... Big throwbacks, like would you let's not? Do it. Would you consider Justin Herbert to be better than prime Philip Rivers? Because I absolutely would. No, absolutely. I, like he's he's great, but the Chargers have a hex on them right now, and I have not seen it taken off. The chart, like you saw that game at the end of the year, like that was the epitome of our franchise is cursed. Are we? Uh, are we about to do the Sage Cleanse Part Two? <laughs> That stadium doesn't need any more bells and whistles than it already has. <laughs> SoFi Stadium. I'm sh- there, aren't, there aren't any homeopathic hippie ladies in L.A. that are willing to just sage the Chargers locker room only up. <laughs> Maybe the Rams, uh, you know, medical facility, too. <laughs> Let's do it. We'll, uh, we'll take a road trip to L.A. So, quickly... I just want to know whether the Chiefs' window is closing because I'm starting to believe it with the amount of money they have tied up in mediocre defensive players. I'm getting very worried that this is the last year the Chiefs are going to have a stacked enough roster to really field a a surefire, I guess is the word, championship contender behind Patty Mahomes. So here's where the Chiefs currently stand. Uh, Aaron Wilson of Pro Football Nation uh, reported that the Chiefs are currently in contract talks with Tyreek Hill, uh, and they anticipate roughly a uh, APY of twenty one point two five million per year on a long term deal. Nate Geary of WGR five fifty uh, over in Buffalo then reported or not reported but noticed that this is now. Mahomes at 35 million, Chris Jones at 29 million, Frank Clark at 26 million, Tyreek at 21 million, and Thuni at 17.8 million. That's about 60% of a team's cap dedicated to five players. If this isn't the window, I don't know what is. Because, and listen, this is, this is all hinging on the fact that we have no idea what Patrick Mahomes looks like without Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. He's been blessed with one of the all-time great weapon setups that you can give a young quarterback. And we recognize that he's got absolutely incredible talent. But this is also a team that's, you know, they're losing Orlando Brown, Tyron Matthew, Melvin Ingram, Javarius Ward, Mike Remmers, uh, Daniel Sorensen, who, I mean, good riddance, but Byron Pringle, uh, Darren Williams, like Kyle Long at, at Right guard. So all the offensive line investments they made last year are starting to go out the window. 
they, the list, the list is long. The list is long of the number of players are missing. They're losing their top safety, their top corner, their top edge rusher. Uh, their edge rusher they got for cheap, mind you, but still. Uh, and both their top safeties, really, if you're going to call Daniel Zord to the top safety by snaps only. But still, counts. They're losing a lot on the defensive end when they were already pretty iffy on defense. They had that crazy run against kind of nobody uh, in the middle of the year where we thought everything had changed and this was a good defensive team that picked up where the offense struggled. But it's a team with $11 million in cap right now and a, a decent amount that they have to you know, restructure to get back to where they were. Yeah, I just don't know. Like, it, and, and part of this is with the ages of those weapons, too. I, I know Tyreek Hill is not old, but with young. massive speed guys like that, like I don't expect him to be this good at 34. So I think his window's closing a little bit. I definitely think Kelsey's window is closing just because when you play that position, you take a lot of hits. We've seen it happen to even guys like Gronk who are pretty – moved on to another stage of his career at age 29. So I just don't know. Like, I I think this team has a lot of potential to kind of hit a lull in the next couple years. Like, it's sort of the thing that happened at the Chicago Cubs where they win a championship and then they just keep kind of backing up around in the playoffs every year until all of a sudden they're pretty mediocre. So, I mean, I don't know if a team with Patrick Mahomes, a quarterback, can ever truly be mediocre, but... I, I just don't I don't I see them backing up a little is all I'm concerned about. And you know who's gonna bolt into that void? Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody help me. I'm I'm holding up the cardboard sign. Just please help me with when Kales gets going about the Chargers. Uh, <laughs> so we gotta talk about the AFC South and I think we've gotta just jump right into the muck here. So <laughs> the, slop. the absolute slop. The Jacksonville Jaguars, the Houston Texans, which team has more hope for the future right now. By default, the Jaguars. Because, <sighs> because, listen, put everything that you've learned about Urban Meyer and everything that happened last year to the side. And everything that's been revealed since the Khan balky incident basically ran their best quarterback op- or coaching options and GM options out of town. That being said... <laughs> Why do I have to forget this? It's very much at the top of mind right now, Gail. <laughs> because, because these two teams are basically in the same position. Jackson and I built a spreadsheet. I built a spreadsheet into this into pregame for this pod and prep for this pod. And next to Houston Texans and Jacksonville Jaguars, the top need we have listed for both teams is all. <laughs> <laughs> And they've done it in very different ways, but the two positions Jacksonville doesn't need are quarterback and running back, which how much you value running backs is whatever, but having James Robinson and Travis Etienne as a one-two punch behind Trevor Lawrence is a big deal. Yeah, remember how Urban Meyer spent his first, second first-round pick on a running back last year? When they had the value of a UDFA Ugh. at the position who was top five in the league the year prior as a rookie. Yeah, and then also brings in Carlos Hyde and gives him carries over that super valuable UDFA. It was just a great year for Listen, the Jaguars. That's why there's a new regime. <laughs> 
Doug Marone has the cushiest job in sports because... That is not the right Doug, Kale. <laughs> Doug Peterson has the cushiest job in sports because he just gets to come in after Chip Kelly and after Urban Meyer and look like he's a fixer and can just remedy any situation because he just... It's like a, a, a cleansing rain comes in after a Category 5 hurricane <laughs> twice. Yeah, well, Doug Peterson, I hate to bring this up, beat the Patriots in a Super Bowl. It really happened. Then he, then he wrote a book about it. The book was called Fearless. And then he spent the next three years running, like, draw plays on third and seven. I'm it sorry. doesn't make a lot of I'm sense. I'm sorry. Do you have a statue of yourself built outside Lincoln Field? Nope. Exactly. Not, not planning on it either, that place. <laughs> you know what? I will say, that's a nice-ish no, sports it's the most genius idea ever I love to put it. all your sports facilities in one place. None of them Baseball are Baseball stadium, nice. football stadium, basketball hockey place. Yeah. I guess arena. <laughs> but, <laughs> place. but all the statues and stuff, it's, it's the perfect place to put all that. I, I, I agree with you that if none of them are going to be iconic stadiums in and of themselves, the way Fenway is iconic or Lambeau Field is iconic, then yeah. Put them on a giant plex. Put something like Xfinity Live in the middle where everyone can get properly drunk before the game. And then just have a good darn time. And all those stadiums are not very nice like in terms of the actual construction of them. But you can tell the people who are there are there because they want to be there. And yeah. that's what I like about Philly sports. I want to shake the hand of the Philadelphia city planner. <laughs> that is genius. I like it a lot. It's... And, and there are a lot of cities where the stadiums are all kind of right next to each other, but none of them have the same type of cohesive vibe. You oh, go to no. Pittsburgh, does not have not that vibe same. whatsoever. No, I like it's like a big like themed city. It's cool. It's a themed area of the city. It's all sports stuff, and all the sports statues there are sick. And the Philly, Philly, listen. As much as that Super Bowl, that Super Bowl doesn't even really hurt that bad. No, I don't I, know why. I find well, it's because they sandwiched it between two Super Bowl wins. Yeah, fair and after. But having having that statue specifically of them calling that play is nuts. That's so <laughs> cool to me. I don't know. It's awesome. Nick, Houston, the, by the way, Houston Texans, no, no yeah. hope whatsoever. <laughs> hope is fantastic. Well, we we sat at this table two weeks ago, similarly delirious at a late hour of the night, and proclaimed that the Houston Texans were the sport's most dysfunctional franchise. So I don't think we can be now trying to claim that there's hope in town. They could be pro sports most dysfunctional franchise. <laughs> I think they probably are pro sports most. Like, I don't know if maybe there's probably a European soccer team that I just don't know about. If we're keeping it to the America Big Four, it's it might be easy. Yeah. <sighs> Baseball's got some bad ones, I've got to say. How about when the Seattle Mariners uh, team president just came on Zoom last year with the Rotary Club and started bragging about how cheap his team was and how they undervalued their young prospects? Like, there's some bad ones in that sport. But they also have the winningest baseball team ever. They didn't win a World Series, but it's the winningest baseball team ever. Yeah, they haven't made the playoffs since. <laughs> I, yeah, true. And listen, they also birthed a great mini documentary series about them, and it's beautiful by SB Nation. You should look at it. Uh, highly recommend it. Highly, highly recommend it. And I'm giving them the points over Texas for that. Houston for that. All right. Well, moving on, let's talk about <laughs> who's going to play quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts. I'll give you a hint. It's not Carson Wentz. <laughs> he loves kissing titties. Oh, no. <laughs> what? 
What? <laughs> Have you never seen that tweet? Yes, but how did you get there? Dude. What, what logic steps have you taken to think Mitch Trubisky is the answer for any team, let alone the Colts at quarterback? Because there's been a... It, Mina Kimes described this on Twitter as she thinks it's like... Like a sleeper cell being awoken by a code word. Oh because the more and more that you see it, like more and more people are just talking about how Mitchell Trubisky is going to get upwards of $10 million this year for no reason. He looks like he's a shaved Ryan Fitzpatrick, money-wise. I don't really get it either. So Mitchell Trubisky has been activated in the eyes of... <laughs> <laughs> In the eyes of NFL media. And if you look at the quarterbacks that are available, it, the alternatives are Jameis Winston, Teddy Bridgewater, and Marcus Mariota that are currently available. If you want to get into Jimmy G, if you want to get into Kirk Cousins, so be it. But realistically, with the way this team is structured, there are worse guys to give a second chance to. Oof. I mean, listen. If you I think, would just rather give someone else a first chance. If you think you're going to play fixer with a team, it's you thought you could do it with Carson Wentz. You can definitely do it with Mitchell Trubisky, who was a former number two overall pick. But why? Because Carson Wentz showed way more high ceiling than Trubisky ever did in his time in Chicago. Like even the year Chicago went twelve and four, Trubisky was considered one of the main things holding them back that year. I don't. I don't see it. I just truly don't see Listen, it. Listen, I get it, but the, they also don't have a first-round pick because it's going to Philadelphia. So if they want a quarterback, they don't really have an option but a veteran. It's the ideal situation. It's, it's them or Jameis. Do you want to give Jameis a contract? Do you want to give Teddy Maybe. a contract? Like, Maybe. I, I don't like either of those options because Philadelphia also has... Philadelphia's who they traded the pick to. Indianapolis has so many different holes they need to fill. Uh, I mean, they've got Eric Fisher's leaving, T.Y. Hilton's leaving, Mike, Mark Lewinsky's leaving, uh, Mo Ali Cox, Zach Pat. Like, they've got, they, they don't ha- really have wide receivers to begin with, and some of their depth guys at the pass catching positions are leaving. That sounds like a lot of guys I feel fine to get rid of, frankly. That's I mean, T.Y.'s, T.Y.'s getting out there. Mo Ali Cox is a valuable guy. Mo Ali Cox is a guy, if you can get him on a big deal, he's better than Jack Doyle, for sure. He's absolutely their better tight end. They stopped using him. I'll hold, I'll take that to my grave. He's a good tight end. <laughs> he's slow. Yeah, I get I it, know. but what are tight ends supposed to do? Not everyone's going to be Travis Kelsey. He can block. He's good. Yeah. Like, he's versatile. But that being said, you've got 36 mil in cap. You can make a lot of immutable, but you're stuck with this Carson Wentz money. So you can't really do much with it. Unless you want to move him for nothing. Um, and like, what are you going to move him for? Like, a fourth? A fifth? Like, you're not moving Carson Wentz for much because it's going to be insane to take that contract on. So you got to get a value guy. And Mr. Trubisky feels like that value guy. And spend your money on wide receivers elsewhere. You've already got a good line. You've already got a good defense. And you aren't losing a ton from that defense outside of Xavier Rhodes. I think that's the move. I don't know. I can't think of another guy. It just feels like if someone's going to take him... Feels like a perfect situation. I, I, Why does someone have to take him? I, this just are you gonna play like, with Carson Wentz? I'd ra- I don't know. I don't want either of them. Is there like a? I, I would take Jameis over both of them. That's, I know, but I'd I think that I think Jameis. This is also the uh, guy who was uh, third in the NFL in EPA. If you 
make it minimum 200 snaps on RBSDM. Uh, this is before the injury, but he was lights out for the Saints throwing to no one. So him and Teddy Bridgewater, I feel like, are going to command like $15 million, and that's a lot for the Colts to give up. I would just punt on the quarterback position. Like, maybe even just don't play a quarterback this year. Like, you've already, you've already messed things up so bad with the Wentz trade. Don't compound the error by then also committing money to Mitchell Trubisky. Like, just draft someone. I don't even care who. Just draft someone and start them immediately and just pray that it works out. And if not, then you can start <laughs> over next year. But I am done handing out money to retreads. Phil Rivers to... Carson Wentz to Mitchell Trubisky would just be a disastrous trio in a three-year off-season span. I don't hate just gambling. That's not a terrible idea. Just stop. Like, don't continue this one-year stopgap thing. Just either punt for an entire year or just take a wild swing and go for somebody in, like, the upper echelon of the quarterback class. Like, I don't know. I don't know who that is. Maybe you just go out and maybe go get Kirk Cousins. I don't know. Do something. Don't, don't, please don't do Mitchell Trubisky. What's your answer? Is it literally anyone other than Mitchell Trubisky? Yes. That's what it sounds like. And, and, I mean, Carson Wentz is bad too, so I don't really want to run it back with him either. But, yeah, I mean, I, I would try to draft someone. I think that's my answer if I'm the Colts. I'm just, it's a bad division. I mean, I hope someone falls that far. So is like maybe like Corral slips into the second, but now there's also reports that there are going to be five quarterbacks taken, which makes no sense. They t- teams talk themselves into it every year, man. It's it's like it's clockwork. Disgusting. There's so many good players. We're going to take five quarterbacks from this draft, really. Yeah, it's it's like clockwork. It's the if you don't have a quarterback, you have nothing. The Colts found that out firsthand this year. They had a great roster, couldn't make the playoffs with Carson Wentz playing quarterback. Yeah. Anyway, let's talk NFC. We got so trapped on the AFC South after we said we were going to brush over it. <laughs> nah, <it's, laughs> this is important stuff we're talking oh about God. here. Uh, let's talk about the Cowboys, another fun topic. Uh, and having just crowned Mike McCarthy, the coach who should have been fired two weeks ago, we now must ask ourselves, is there anything we can do to reverse the awful momentum that the Cowboys have built up over the past few years. For a team that's made the playoffs somewhat consistently over the past decade, there's not a lot of hope right now. And they have no cap space. They have a couple, I mean, Amari Cooper wants out, and he's probably going to get out because he has a super expensive contract. I don't know, like, what's the what's the best offseason practices for the Cowboys to try and fix some of the things that are broken? <sighs> the... It's so counterintuitive to what you just said, but it, it really is just bring back the guys from last year. <laughs> it's, that's quite literally the answer. This is a team that is $21 million over the cap currently. <laughs> and really, their one need is pass rush. Their one need is like edge rushing, and, and they're losing Randy Gregory. Uh, and there are also a lot of a lot of offensive weapons are hitting the free agent market. Uh, Michael Gallup, we've already mentioned. Dalton Schultz is getting there. It's it's looking grim. It, outside of that, it's not too bad. It's a lot of depth players, which again, for a team that gets as injured as the Cowboys do, that's pretty important. 
But, you know, when your biggest defensive losses at the linebacker position are Keanu Neal and Leighton Vander Esch, I'm fine with it. You, their real need is that they need to get edge rushers and they need to keep developing players. Uh, you have an absolute superhuman in Micah Parsons who you can kind of put anywhere. I think that's honestly, that's the beauty of Micah Parsons. That's the beauty of hitting on him because the fact that he's able to play stand-up linebacker, edge linebacker, he can rush the passer, he can stop the run, he can fill whatever needs that you end up having left over in free agency. But the fact that you have so many holes to fill on this defense, not really so many holes to fill, but if, if Amari Cooper walks, it'll help their cap situation, but it'll be really, it'll be really tough to compete. Like if, you know, you're jumping from an insane wide receiver trio of Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb, and Michael Gallup to just CeeDee Lamb, potentially. It's, it's a, it's a big drop there and you gotta be this is the perfect wide receiver class to do it but we have these wide receivers left on the board it's a real question there are going to be day two guys that will be big but i don't know there's a lot of there's a lot that could go wrong with this cowboys team and this is a team that i thought could be a shoo-in for the afc championship next year yeah i've seen that we've written down pass rush as their top need here on our spreadsheet would we say cornerback is one of their needs just because their first-team all-pro corner is actually not very good at playing cornerback except when they throw the ball right to him and he is better at catching it than most cornerbacks? The guy's good at catching interceptions. He's really good at catching interceptions, but he's also 92nd out of 110 in PFF grade. Like There's, there's a legitimate reason for concern there. I mean, their whole thing is their front seven at this point. I really think it's their front seven. It's their issue. They can because you can get by on that. Like it's it's all or nothing on his end, but the rest of it's fine too. Like they've got good safety help. They've got like their corners are fine. Like they just need front seven. I don't know. It's they've got they've got their work cut out for them. But I don't know. They'll they'll get there. I don't. I I've got oddly more faith in Dallas to figure this out with negative twenty one million dollars in cap space than I do. Uh, like uh, the Jets with uh, $44 million in cap space to figure it out. Well, the Jets have no history of figuring anything out. Listen, so. they, made, <laughs> oh, well, they made two AFC championships in the Ryan Sanchez. Oh, you're, you're going back going to... Going back decades. Why are, you so, why are you so fixated on 2009 tonight? What, hap- what happened to you in 2009? I'm confused. Oh my god, I just I just figured out a big data project I'm working on. I've been going through a lot of 2006 to 2010 quarterbacking stats. Uh, like, did you know Chad Pennington got a lot of MVP votes one year <laughs> when he went to the Dolphins? <laughs> I did not, but speaking speaking of 2009, Kale's also informed me that the shorts he's wearing tonight, which are Syracuse lacrosse shorts, were from his middle school days, which was right around 2009. Yep. There cool. it is. Good story. All right, good plug. All right. <laughs> anyway, we're going to talk about the Philadelphia Eagles. Let's do it. Oh, no lead, no question. <laughs> nope. We've lost the question format. None. My question for the Philadelphia Eagles is what's the best path forward for their defense? So the Philadelphia Eagles have about $20 million, $21 million in cap space, and their basic needs are all defensive. We have 
Defensive back, quarterback, and safety is a need. We have linebackers a need. We have edge rushers a need. And they don't have a ton of free agents hitting the market outside of, you know, Derek Barnett, Anthony Harris, Steven Nelson, Ryan Kerrigan, Rodney McLeod. Like, it's all their big players hitting free agency. Uh, also Jordan Howard. But all their major players hitting Good free rates. agency are on the defensive side of the ball. But I think with 20 mil... Plus two first-rounders. Three first-rounders, right? Yeah. Three first-rounders. You've got a lot to work with here. I think their best situation is probably addressing some of their secondary needs in the draft. Because that first pick that they have from... Oh, they dropped all the way back to 15. They dropped up 15? 15, 16, and 19. Oh, no. Oh, no. All right. New plan. You package two of these picks, and you move up and get some combination of Sauce Gardner and Kyle Hamilton, uh, because these are just life-changing positions. You never trade up for that kind of. You never trade up for non-quarterbacks, according to smart people, according to analytics guys, because the numbers never really shake out. Yeah. But if you have three picks but in if the you teens, have three picks in the teens, can you package two and call it a day? Because I think. Yeah, you get a better shot at another first-round guy, and you can address another one of these positions. But, man, would it solve a lot of your problems to just have a rangy guy like Kyle Hamilton or just a, a lockdown quarter. Like, also, his name is Sauce Gardner. It's yeah, a, no, that's You make a, a compelling he's argument. He's a lock-off pro <laughs> off name alone. Linebackers, we've, we've dipped into here a little bit. Linebackers are shallow a little bit. It's not too bad, but they're all older. Vaughn Miller, Devondre Campbell, Alexander Johnson. Uh, I hope this, I'm hoping to pronounce it yeah, right. Uh, Foyasade Olokun, Leighton Vander Esch, Josie Jewell, Dante Hightower, Anthony Barr, Kazir White. These are, you know, most, like the bigger names on that list are on the older side at this point. And it's tough to really justify spending big money on those names for short fixes because this isn't really a short fix kind of situation. I think the best money should be spent on the edge position. Load up that line. This is I'm, I'm very convinced that this draft is going to be deep at linebacker in terms of you're going to be able to get very quality starting talent in the second and third rounds just because of how much... Because there's an overload of talent on the front end of this draft in positions like cornerback and interior defensive line and wide receiver. And you know that a couple teams are going to take quarterbacks. So at this point, the running backs and the linebackers of this draft are really going to get pushed down. Linebackers especially. I don't know why I brought up running backs. <laughs> the linebackers are really going to get pushed down. You're going to be able to use a couple of those picks to actually fill those positions. But you can take one the first round, uh, you know, let one fall to you there. A uh, The guy from Utah I really like, his name is escaping me at the moment. You can draft literally anyone that was a Georgia Bulldog last year that's basically hitting on a pick. Uh, and there's going to be a lot of cornerback depth as well. So I think there's like a lot of stuff that Philly can do to address in the draft. And their main money should probably be spent on the edge position and maybe locking in one of these second or third tier wide receivers. Has there ever been... Three picks out of five made by one team in a draft. Like, this is unprecedented. Like, they've got to trade the picks, don't they? Just 
they're they can't possibly make all those decisions in such a short time frame. That just seems unrealistic. Or does it work the other way? Is it like we know which three guys we want and we're gonna get them because they're in such short succession? I don't think they can. I don't think they can trade. I don't think they can draft all three. I think they'll have to trade one, and I think this is the draft you want to trade back in. I think there's going to be a lot of depth in this draft. I've said it early on. I don't know how many people agree with me, but because of the short end, like the smaller class from last year and the fact that there were so many COVID opt-outs, I feel like there's just a lot of top-end talent getting pushed down the ladder at that point. So I think if this is the one year you're going to actually trade out, do it. We'll have to wait and see, but we're going to wait no longer to bring up the most compelling question of the entire pod, because it's NFC North time. And my number one question about this division, Devontae Adams, Aaron Rodgers. Gut reaction, who plays for the Packers on opening day? Rodgers, Adams, both, or neither? Mm. So, gut reactions, both. Which is crazy. Crazy to say, but it, momentum does seem to be building that direction. I'm with you. It's it, This is a team with negative $30 million in cap. And I don't understand all the gymnastics they're going to do. They've already started it by uh, extending and converting some of uh, Aaron Jones's deal. They've done it to a number of other defensive players. But the reason why I feel like it's gut is because there's just been this weird, like... It happened around the same time last year, too. I guess not the same time because Rodgers went on vacation and his whole conversation got pushed later and his conversation last year didn't really start till the draft. But it happened, I'm comparing Russell Wilson's timeline uh, because it's Russell Wilson's on the exact same timeline this year and now Aaron Rodgers has joined that timeline. Uh, There's all this rumbling that, oh, they could leave, they could leave, who knows what they're going to do. Uh, nothing really happens, and then all of a sudden they're like, ah, actually, I think it's best to stay. The thing is, why is it best to stay in Green Bay? I understand that the path is weakened. That being said, it makes, it makes no sense when you see who's leaving the Green Bay Packers and hitting free agency potentially, whether it's Kevin King, whether it's Razul Douglas. It's not only is Devontae Adams leaving, but... Uh, hitting free agency, but also Robert Tanyan, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Alan Lazard, Equinemius St. Brown. Who is he going to throw to? It, there's me. no one. You. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Sue me up. Let's go. All right, perfect. We've got your guy, Aaron. It doesn't make sense. I don't understand. Like, I think he's going to play there. And the one offer that I saw on Twitter was this year's from it was from Denver and it was this year's pick this year's second round pick and another first that's not enough to do it that's not enough to do it at all that's like barely the start of a negotiation for a guy like Aaron Rodgers which and is crazy to say for a 37 about to be 38 year old but listen timetables are different Eli Manning played till he was 39 Ben Roethlisberger played till he was 40 not to say either of those guys played competently, but I mean, <laughs> Philip Rivers played until he was 40. And they, also not very competently. Listen, he was like 17th <laughs> in EPA per play. He was... Eh, like he was yeah, that's a great word for it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but like, you saw, like Aaron Rodgers' back-to-back MVPs at 37-38. Yeah. We're not questioning. Bit, Aaron Rodgers is clearly on the Brady timeline. Yeah, it's not quite Cliff status. Big Ben. Uh, I would... 
I would say the same, though, just because if you look at the NFC versus the AFC right now, the AFC has, what, like nine quarterbacks under the age of 28 that are all studs, yeah. whereas Tom Brady just retired. The Bucks, we don't know where they're headed. We're going to get into them pretty soon, maybe unfortunately for us. Then you've got the Niners, who made it to the championship game this year. Jimmy G's gone. The Rams... Probably gone. You never know. Uh, yeah, I think he's gone. <laughs> the Rams are bringing back most of the same team, but Odell probably won't be ready for opening day. And plus, that team just caught lightning in a bottle in the strangest ways in the playoffs, and I'm not sure they can duplicate it. And we so, just bemoaned the entire AFC East, yeah. or NFC East, rather. So I just think the path is so wide open in the NFC, why not run it back? And but it's crazy to say. objectively a worse team than it was before. But, objectively. But... The conference is terrible. I don't like. We'll get into this. Our our next question. They have guys coming back though. Do, think about like a full year of Bakhtiari and Jair Alexander. Bakhtiari might be over the hill. Bakhtiari, mean, Bakhtiari is spooked by this injury that he has, and I'm a little worried that this is like he's seen like it's Donald status where he's seen ghosts. Like I don't know what it is, but uh, from what he said in interviews and what he's played like last year. This injury has really scared him. Well, I mean, he's got a whole offseason to potentially figure it out. So we'll see. I mean, that would really be unfortunate if it's the truth. But not ruling it out, I'm certainly counting on a full year of Jair Alexander shoring up that secondary more so than it was this year. The linebacking core's strong enough. Like, I think I think Green Bay, I mean, look at the rest of this division. Like, let's, let's get into the rest of that question. Like, why are they at all threatened when they're going to cakewalk to 12 wins in the worst rest of the division that there is in football. So the next question we have is, which non-Packers team is closest to success? (laughs) And you might be thinking, hey, wait, aren't these the Dan Campbell guys? Aren't they going to pick the Lions? (laughs) We've had some discussions at this table about that, and we're not feeling so good about the Detroit Lions right now. I don't know. (laughs) I really don't. I was, before I found that CBS Sports... Had, combi- uh, had compiled all the UDFAs. I was going through spot rack and trying to calculate who all the uh, Detroit Lions uh, free agents were. Uh, UFAs, not UDFAs, sorry. Uh, I was trying to figure out who all their free agents were. And outside of you know Josh Reynolds, Khalif Raymond, uh, the legendary Tim Boyle who played last year for a little bit, uh, I really didn't know anyone that was a free agent outside of like maybe Kaderil Hodge, who's even that's like a third, a third string wide Al- receiver. Alex Anzalone, come on now! I mean, one of the great alliterative names. Nic- in Nicholas football. Williams. <laughs> I, it's, I don't know. <laughs> this is a team with nothing to build around except for Amon Ross, St. Brown, and Penny Sewell, the goats. Amon Ross St. Brown's special. I, I was thinking about getting an Amon Ross St. Brown jersey, honestly. <laughs> He's that cool to me. That being said, uh, I don't, like, they're a, they're a few, there's a, they're a couple years away from being a year away. You know what I mean? Like, they've got That's a fixed. lot left to build. Even with that, what, second overall pick this year, it's, they've got a lot in the tank before they can figure out who they're drafting here. I, I don't know who what direction they're even going to go in the draft, how much that's even going to help them. I don't know who wants to play in Detroit. Like, realistically, Minnesota Viking, the Minnesota Vikings feel like the answer of who's going to be next. But even there, 
they're losing a lot. And most of the guys they're losing are pretty old. Like Patrick Peterson, Sheldon Richardson, Anthony Barr are their, are big losses. But when they're your main losses, it's it's kind of fine. I think they're probably going to be starting from scratch. I feel like they almost might be like blowing it up in some regards. Yeah, that defense was just so bad the last two years. And Mike, such and Mike bad Zimmer vibes was in the so, building. Mike Zimmer was so checked out for about a year and a yeah. half. It was nuts. And it's, cra- it's crazy. It is absolutely insanity to say that the Chicago Bears are the next best team mm. after the Green Bay Packers. Without anything to really show for it, without any reason to trust them, none or respect their organization. I'm not going to. <laughs> it's, but it's it's close. It's they've got a lot living in free agency too. But I guess if you can build around Roquan Smith and Justin Fields and Khalil no Mack's one still else, there. Khalil Mack is. I think he's also got like a year left though. Yeah, but no, Roquan Smith is year. a year left. That's it. But still, like, you've got good linebackers and a quarterback, and that's really it. Counterpoint. Every, everyone on this list of Chicago Bears free agents, bar Akeem Hicks and Allen Robinson, is very expendable. Like, this is just a team that is getting younger, I think, at the right time. And it's a division where, yeah, I think the Bears are a year away, but everyone else in this division is either aging slash guys are leaving and or getting worse, the Packers. The Vikings have no defense, and the Lions are even further away. So there might be just kind of like this one to two years down the road time window that's opening up for the Bears, and they might, just might, be able to jump in there if they add a couple key pieces on defense, find a way to replace that wide receiver talent. Uh, It's weird to say because the Bears had 15 tight ends on their roster two years ago, but maybe it's time to go out and get a good tight end. Could be a good piece for Justin Fields. I don't know. There's there's some things to work with. $25 in cap space, also not a bad number to start out with for the Bears. And that number can shake out to be a lot better than that. I will just say, though, uh, there is... I, I don't care how high or low you are on the Bears, what have you, uh, losing both right to, or both starting tackles to free agency is bad. Especially when you have a rookie quarterback who has already been kind of given the ringer in his first year. A sophomore quarterback that's already had a rough first season. Hmm. There is not a lot of trust being built in that building for the quarterback. And I am nervous for Justin Fields. Well, I was nervous for him from day one when he got drafted to the Chicago Bears. So we're going to keep Fair the faith. Enough. We're going to keep the faith for, for young Mr. Fields. Uh, two more divisions. We're going to rip through them because we are tired boys. But we're going to finish this podcast with energy. Let's go. All right. Which team can come out of the NFC South, an awful football division, and somehow emerge as the favorites at the end of this offseason? This question has been plaguing me for weeks. I think all of these teams are trash, but if I had to pick one, I'm going to stew on that for a couple more minutes here and go to Kale first for his opinion. After party. After the party, it's the Waffle House. If you've ever been here, you know what I'm talking about. Where people don't dance, all they do is this, and after the original, you know what it is. Welcome to Atlanta. I don't like that pick at all. (laughs) (laughs) 
It's really the only one I have because I don't understand what's going on in Carolina. Carolina is $26 million in cap. Uh, they have basically their entire defense hitting free agency outside of Brian Burns. Uh, they don't have a lot really going on for them. They're the one good piece of their offensive line. After having the worst offensive line in football, they're one good piece. Matt Paradise is also hitting offensive line. I don't know if it's Paradise or Paradise. Don't care. Uh, but they don't. They've got Christian McCaffrey, who honestly should be traded at this point. Uh, they have their wide receivers, and they have no one on defense. And that's all they have. So why should I trust Matt Rule, the guy that doesn't practice fourth down situations and doesn't practice in the red zone? Uh, I don't really get it. I don't trust him at all. He, it's the next logical answer after whatever is going on. If you look at what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going through, it's uh, it's, a, it's a hell world. It's scary. It's really, really, really bad. This is a team that is not built to outlast uh, the Tom Brady era. Here are the, player, here are the positions in all 22 uh, roster spots that they have under contract. They have a wide receiver one in Mike Evans through 2023. They have a left tackle through 2023. They have a right tackle through 2024, a D tackle through 26, two inside linebackers, one outside linebacker, safety, and a cornerback. The rest of those starters are all unrestricted free agents or they retired. Uh, between Brady and uh, the lineman that just Ali Marpet, pour one out for... Division three legend, Alex. Poor one out. The guy got a few million dollars, uh, proposed to his girlfriend, won a Super Bowl, and walked out at like twenty-seven. Uh, this is a this is a Division three baseball term. We say we say pour one out as in honor of. Okay, like, I, I, it's more. It's more. I understand. I've I've heard the term pour one out. I'm very familiar. But that is just. I mean, he's going out on top. Yeah. that is a king. Bucks have no one. Panthers don't trust them. Saints forty-two million dollars over the cap. This happens every offseason. I get Saints. it. I don't. But get how it. many more times can you kick the can down the road? And especially now that you don't have Sean Payton, I feel like you kind of got to eat it. Especially with Marcus Williams leaving, Teron Armstead leaving, uh, Jameis is leaving. Everyone should be upset about Jameis leaving. Uh, that should be a way bigger. Quan Alexander's gone. Jordan Mills is gone. Uh, like they they're losing a lot a lot of people here. It's it's like I don't really understand where this team goes because they can't be competitive at all. Like they just absolutely cannot. Well, you know who's not leaving? Pocatello, Idaho's own Taysom Hill. That was a good pull. I would not have gotten Pocatello, Idaho. <laughs> He's gonna be in town for the foreseeable future. So Saints fans, buckle up. I mean, there's one quarterback in this division. His name is yeah. Matt Ryan. But that's tough because Matt Ryan is aging. He's but he's got looks good in a long time. But he's got stuff left in the tank. I don't know. I think like I understand what's going on with Calvin Ridley. I respect his mental health and I want him to get better. But I understand he also just wants to leave town in some regard. Uh, but you've got Kyle Pitts. You've got a high draft pick. You can pick guys up. You can move some things around. And you can just start rebuilding this defense, whether it's pass rush, whether it's interior line, whether it's cornerback, whether it's wide receiver. Like, you can spruce a bit here and there. But that negative $6 million that they have in cap is way more mutable than, way more, you know, finagleable than the Saints. The Saints, Arjun Manan has the Saints jumping from negative $80 million in effective cap to $40 million in effective cap. 
that's a hundred twenty million dollar difference. That is nuts. The Falcons can get from they've already done some cap gymnastics here, but he has them jumping from negative twelve ish to forty five. So they can get they can start really lightening the load. Cordell Patterson has already talked about the fact that he wants to remain in Atlanta. He wants to basically finish his career in Atlanta because of the creativity he's been able to provide. If they can get some interior offensive line, if they can get just a little bit more help at receiver. Uh, I, I understand, you know, Russell Gage is hitting the market. Odalei Zacchaeus is hitting the market. They've got, they've got wide receivers hitting the market, but you can pick up one more guy. Like, you can, you can mess around. You can get a couple guys. If anything, this is probably the worst division in football next year. Uh, the South, like, just cut. Like, the, the South is now just for college football. <laughs> they don't get pro sports anymore. I'm excited to see if it can hang with the NFC East from last year in terms of total ineptitude. Because I think the Falcons are a seven-win team, potentially. And that's as good as it might get. Maybe we'll eight, just because We'll of see how division. the schedules shake out. But also... If we're talking about total ineptitude, the Eagles like kind of competed with the Chiefs for one game. Like, I think the NFC talking about last year, last year, not this past year, like twenty twenty, Washington. Oh, Washington football seven nine. Yeah, Yeah. that division. Oh, I was gonna say I thought you meant last year where it was, like I, I was like I don't think there's a coach half as crazy in the NFC South as Joe Judge was. No, last year. And Joe so. Judge was looking like maybe the best head coach in his own division two years ago with that bold, NFC. Bold statement. I don't know what you're talking about there. The, the 6-10 and ten Giants kind of had some people with some hope around them. I mean, the Washington football team was a little better and made the playoffs, but we're talking about the Doug Peterson year where he quit on his team in the final game to try and preserve a draft pick and then still ended up getting fired. And Honestly, Mike McCarthy's debut season where they won six games. I'm going to say power move. Like, in retrospect, <laughs> in retrospect, kind of sick. Uh, <laughs> like, objectively, a good they got Devontae Smith because of it, dude. <laughs> That's sick. What are we talking about here? Yeah, but Doug Peterson wasn't there to reap the benefits Don't of care. It. He gets Trevor Lawrence now. <laughs> All right. Well, I don't think we need to talk about the NFC South anymore. We had another question so, before it. I, no, uh, well, let's see. Where, like, we, we kind of half answered it, but I'll just ask you, where do the Saints go from here? Because they don't have a quarterback, they don't have receivers, they're losing their offensive line, which is one of their strengths, and now they're losing their defense, too. I mean, they should have run it back with Jameis, but it's too late now. The contract's going to be too hefty. Uh, so I guess... I mean, maybe you just tank if you're the Saints. Like, that might be the move. Just bottom out for one season, finally reset that cap belt they've been pushing down the road for the better part of a decade, and try to get a quarterback. And see if Michael Thomas can still play football. Maybe we just kick the tires on that one. Does he still want to play football? Counterpoint. Move him for picks and just full blow up. Uh, yeah, that's also an option. Move Kamar for picks also in that that's, case. That's an option. I, <laughs> I like where we're heading with this. Like, what, what spare parts do the Saints have to sell 
Maybe like all their entire offensive line. Yeah. Uh, Maybe sell the top of the Superdome. Just try and make money off that as well. Just anything you can do to replenish your. Just sell the Mercedes Benz logo. (laughs) Well, it's now the Caesars Superdome, so they are. Oh, true. Kicked that down. Caesars. God sucks. Yeah, just take so much lamer. Take the top off, melt it down, and sell the raw materials. Okay. That's how I'm fixing the New Orleans. (laughs) That's how they solve their cap problems. (laughs) Yes. It's literally. Literally a cap problem, okay? Boo! <laughs> Get out of here! I'm trying to. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Final division to talk about. NFC West. Um, is there any way the Seattle Seahawks can salvage this defense, Kale? I mean, we've, we've talked about a lot of sad teams on this episode. Seattle's kind of up there right now in terms of ineptitude the past few seasons with pushing the cap down the road and trading two first round picks for Jamal Adams and now having an incompetent defense and a very disgruntled 33 year old quarterback with a wife with golden singing voice who could probably tell him to move to any city in America. So at the end of that run on sentence, I'm going to once again ask you, can the Seattle Seahawks fix their defense? No. Kale, I don't understand why. <laughs> so Kale just picked, I, he picked up the microphone and put it right next to his mouth so he could say no very loudly. He knows that audio is going to get softened in post. But you're going to keep that part loud. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to do that to our listeners' eardrums, Kale. It's not a thing. I, I hope there's some reverb or something on it that's going to make it sound different. Uh, no. <laughs> emphatically, <laughs> emphatically no. <laughs> it's my answer. <laughs> that was the point of me picking up the microphone to say it loudly and as annoyingly as possible. Uh, Trevor Sikama of PFF fame uh, said his main takeaway of the draft is draft every Georgia's defensive player. Uh, and in response, Blake Allen Murphy of Revenge of the Birds responded with, my takeaway was how many defensive studs this draft has in the first round that could help Seattle rebuild that defense, and they got to deal with Jamal up there instead on that deal as part of that trade-off. So, there's li- like their one solution. This is a team with a, a good amount of cap space, let's be honest. But they have so many other, op- like, they have so many other issues. Interior offensive line, guard and center. Pass rush on the edge. Cornerback, basically their entire offensive line, their entire secondary, not named Jamal Adams, and that's almost by default, uh, and just most of the front line. Like I, like, I don't really know what this team can do to fix what they have. They're losing both their starting tackles, their starting center, their starting safety, their starting tight end. Uh, more interior defensive line. They're starting corner as well. And actually, both are starting edge. Jesus, they're losing a lot. This is bad. <laughs> so, in like, conclusion, no. extend Pete Carroll. <laughs> I, dude, if this is why you trade Russell Wilson. Like, this is unironically what, like, I don't like that we've, this was, I started this podcast by saying I love the eternal optimism of the offseason, and I think we've canceled like five football teams. <laughs> I think we've told five football teams before the season has even started to just pack it in. Like, 
Which it, is fair. It is. All, like, objectively very fair. I think... Like, this, blow it up rating. New Orleans. Seattle. Indy. Like, which team... Like, Indy's not blow it up. Yeah, that's true. Indy's but. not blow it up. Indy's a quarterback. Dude, I gave... I, I said Mitchell Trubisky was the fix. That's not blowing it up. That's scary. <laughs> but it's... Yeah, I, I would... I, I the think Vikings throw them in there. I'll they throw the Vikings in there. I'll throw uh, Houston's blown up. <laughs> <laughs> They're already a crater. I don't think we need to. And add they don't them have assets list. to make it better. Uh, I don't. If I was gonna power rank those bad boys quick, uh, Saints are one. Seattle's a very close second. That's only because they have Russell Wilson. Uh, the the Vikings are two in the middle because I think they have a lot of really good pieces, but it doesn't make sense to trade all of them. I think you have to make do with what they have at some point because they have a really good uh, interior defensive line. They have a they have a decent offensive line. They have a great running back in Dalvin Cook. They have a great receiver in Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen. Like they have too many good pieces. They're not full blow. But I don't know what you do with Kirk Cousins and that secondary. That's a problem. And. Uh, who was the fourth team? Because the fourth team is last. Well, you already. Oh, I already said, said the Colts don't blow up. up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's that's where we're at. But the, I think, like the Seahawks, the Seahawks without Russ are worse off than the Saints. Okay, I I agree with that. But at the same time, I like the vibes with the Seattle team. You know how someone will say the vibes are immaculate. The vibes are immaculate. With you this think team. the vibes are immaculate? No, I'm saying the vibes are terrible. Oh, they're immaculate. Yeah, oh. the vibes are <laughs> completely immaculate with this team. They they have culture issues out the wazoo. It's really tough to watch because this is a team, and I still think it all ties back to the Malcolm Butler play. Like everything that's happened the, since then has gone downhill. The for ESPN the ESPN article about how the Patriots broke the Seahawks is burned my brain forever. It's incredible. Like, these guys were throwing desks in film meetings. <laughs> the defense was mad at the offense. The, like, there were trust issues broken. Like, the entire Legion of Boom broke up because of it. It's so funny. It's so, so funny how they broke up, and I can't believe it. I've never seen a singular moment ruin a franchise more than that one. <laughs> Especially one that was coming off a title and that moment was to take a second title away from them by the thinnest of margins. And ever wow. since then, we've gone over this on the pod, right? Their three playoff wins since the Malcolm Butler play are the Blair Walsh missed field goal, the Josh McCown Eagles, and the, the Lions. Like, that's it. <laughs> In ten years, basically. I guess oh, it's eight years. Oh Those my are the only three. <laughs> I, I've you've absolutely told it to me before and it blows me away every single time. Wow. Alright. Last question of the entire podcast. We've kind of agreed like the Rams shockingly aren't losing much. So we don't have to touch on them all that much. They're losing their major it's losing's a loose word because the guys that are falling off, like Von Miller, Odell, Darius Williams, uh, they're they're straight up losing uh, Andrew Whitworth. And that's, I think, their biggest need is replacing that spot at left tackle. But their basic needs are they need more linebacker help and they need depth at corner. That's always been their need. That was their need before the season. That's their need after this season. Outside of the, like, Andrew Whitworth retiring is basically their one thing. They've already pretty much committed 
to bringing everyone back because Miller and Odell have mutual interests. So I don't think there's an issue there at all. No, so I, I agree, and that's why I was going to say that the Rams basically are just running it back. So the last pressing issue within this division is to talk about the other two teams. So I, I'll just phrase it to you like this. Between the Niners and Cardinals, I mean, the Niners, we assume, are losing Jimmy G, so it's year one of the Trey Lance experiment. The Cardinals are really interesting from a lot of perspectives. So which of those teams is more likely to make some noise next year? Man. Yeah, I knew this question was coming, and I'm still scratching my head about it. They've both got relatively similar cap situations. I think by default, San Francisco. Yeah. Because they're better coached. They're losing less, but they have, like, deeper needs. Like, they have no corners. They have not a lot of safeties. Jaquiski Tart's hitting the market, so they can't drop game-stealing interceptions anymore. <laughs> uh, huge win for San Francisco, actually. Not to, dis- not to No, not to disparage Jaquiski Tart, because he's solid. He's fine at, at safety. That's just that's an egregious drop. That's the only thing he's going to be remembered by. And I, I had a few good years of enjoying his play for that Niner secondary. He was solid for the most part. Sad. I agree. But on the flip side, Arizona has relatively the same cap. Uh, it, San Francisco is 2.9. Arizona's got 2.7. They've got a lot more needs to address, and they're losing a lot more. Chandler Jones is gone. Zach Ertz is gone. AJ Green is gone. Chase Edmonds, Max Williams, James Conner, uh, Christian Kirk wants out. Uh, you know, Corey Peters on the interior defensive line. Like those are big names, and they've got more, and it's more depth stuff. But you know, Zeke Turner at linebacker for one, but Dennis Gardak at edge rusher. So they're losing both their edges basically. Uh, but they have never had corners. They. They, you know, Rodney Hudson was a massive pickup. They still need interior. Like, that fixes the center, but they don't have guards now. They don't really have any defensive line, interior or exterior, if they're losing Chandler Jones. And they don't have the money to really resolve it. And they played too well to get, like, these middling weird picks. Uh, it, it's they, There's not a lot that they can really do. I don't understand what Arizona can do at this point. And I kind of get... Why Kyler's sending letters now? Because like they don't really have leverage to do anything. So it's like, all right, here's what you can do. You can give me a bag, and that's really it. I don't know. I don't. I don't see any real options for upward momentum for the Arizona Cardinals. I, I, I'm not. I was when I when we were talking about those teams blow it up. I wasn't ready to put the Cardinals in that conversation, but they're not that far off because aside. From Kyler and DeAndre Hopkins, what do they have? And it's not like they have a ton of cap to go out and replace those guys. It's not like they have a ton of draft capital. It's like the thing where old guys like to go to Arizona, so they just have this perpetual like veteran team that every year stays the same age, and they just lose old guys and plug in slightly less old guys. So I don't know who's really out there this offseason in that middle age range that's going to make a difference for them. Whereas the Niners, I know what the formula is. The If you want to have a good season, just pray for a good Trey Lance emergence. And I could see that happening. So I, I don't necessarily think it's likely that the Niners make a deep playoff run, but I could see it. I don't see it at all. Yeah, this there's team. way more risk in the 
freelance side of things because the guy's thrown 100 passes since he turned 17. But, like, you don't really know what that looks like at all. But everything that you hear out of Niners... there's Okay, there's two different reports. What you hear out of the Niners camp is all glowing. What you hear out of media is, like, very disparaging and, like, not glowing. It's, it's very, like, they're worried about him. They don't know if he can produce, et cetera, et cetera. But even mid-level Trey Lance with the creativity of a Kyle Shanahan and the weapons on this team is solid. Like it, it's objectively more versatile than Jimmy G because like Trey Lance can run and he can probably complete the same kinds of passes that Jimmy G was expected to complete. So it's not too demanding on, it's not too demanding on quarterback arms at this point. So I think he's going to be fine. It's just a matter of what else you can do surrounding that. And at this hour, I am also reminded that I picked the Niners to go to the Super Bowl in our postseason way-too-early Super Bowl preview. So, I guess I have no choice but to back this team. Did you pick the Niners or the Cowboys? No, you you, you said you were going to pick the Cowboys, but just couldn't. But I was never anywhere close to the Cowboys. Never mind. So, I'm... I'm Bills over Niners. That's my Super Bowl for next so you're year. Bills over Cowboys. You're Bills over Niners. Got yeah. It. No, we're we're not touching that. No one's Mike touching McCarthy it. Trend. After this discussion, not touching. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we hope you've all enjoyed this podcast. I am scared of where this off-season content is going at this point because if we can do an hour and a half on teams that we want to blow up and hand size and all the other shenanigans we talked about today who knows what else is coming this offseason yeah at some point we'll have to like fill gaps like we have a lot of material that we kind of breeze through and still made it chaotic at some point we'll have to like find things to fill and that's where it gets messy i'm i'm scared for them for what's coming in the words of bart scott can't wait that's a closing that you've also used during the regular season. So, Listen. congrats on consistency. <laughs> and with that, we'd like to thank our sponsors. And that's it. Congratulations on making it through this episode. For Kale, I'm Jackson. We'll see you next Tuesday.